1: Welcome to this week's episode of No Really I'm Fine. Thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. However this is reaching you, thank you for being here and listening to it. It's uh, it's really great that we can share this with you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this voice was here a couple of weeks ago doing an introduction and you would be right. I am Matt. I'm one of the producers on the show and Gemma as much as she wanted to couldn't be here today. Uh she's got other things that she needs to deal with, so You've got me. You've got me for the whole thing. And hopefully that'll be a good thing. But I'm not sure yet, if I'm honest with you. Uh, I don't normally do this. So, you know, it's weird for me as much as it is for you. Why don't you uh, why don't you send us a tweet and let me know how I've done uh, at I'm fine podcast underscore. Anyway, enough of that. We are talking to Chris Honeyset. I think that's how you say his last name. I I guess that's how you say his last name. But we are talking to Chris and he is a film reviewer for The Mirror and we are going to be talking about mental health in films and how it's depicted, whether or not it's dangerous. What are the positives and negatives of it? Uh, does it support the stigma? Does it help demystify mental health, you know, all of those things. We're we're going to be exploring this idea and hopefully getting somewhere by the end of it. Uh, But who knows, because it's all just opinion at this stage, I guess. I'm not going to talk for too long. I'm not going to bore you with all the bits and pieces that I probably would normally go on about. I want the conversation with Chris to do that. So Let's jump right into it. This is me and Chris talking about mental health in movies. We start every episode by just asking, are you really fine? So Chris, are you happy to tell me? Are you fine today?
0: Yes, no, I'm good today. Yeah. Today's a good day. Yes.
1: In terms of mental health and things, just to just to give people an idea of who you are and, and things like... I just want to find out a little bit of like how, how you're connected with it and uh, what mental health means to you.
0: I would look at it like this way. I, think, I don't think I've met an adult, myself included, who hasn't struggled at some point with their mental health. Now, for some people, to draw a very poor analogy, some people that might be stubbing their toe or for some it might be spraining their ankle or for some it might be breaking a leg. But sooner or later we, you know, we pick up injuries and, you know, I, not, no one's immune to that, you know, getting hurt is part of life. And that's where I'm coming from with it. So at the moment I'm injury free. Nice to hear. And you,
1: and you review films. That's what, that's what you do, right? Am, am I right in thinking that? Yep. I'm the movie
0: guy. You'll find me every week in the Daily Mirror. And how long have you been doing that for? Uh, I... For the Daily Mirror, nearly three years now. And for four years before that, it was uh, The Sunday People. Okay. So seven, seven
1: years, quite a long time. We may as well just start talking films and stuff. So what are your thoughts on sort of, your general thoughts on mental health in film?
0: <laughs> There's loads of it, frankly. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, the, the reason is, look, cinema isn't, isn't attracted to portraying mental illness or mental health badly because it wants to heal the world but because it leads to, you know, extremes mental illness means there's extreme behaviour, and that's dramatic. And Hollywood is all about the drama. That doesn't mean it's not interesting, and it includes lots of sex and violence, and there's nothing more Hollywood than that. A lot of the time it goes unnoticed or unremarked upon, even when it's there. So, for example, there's four films in today's Daily Mirror, three of which deal fairly explicitly with people suffering varying degrees of mental trauma but it's not acknowledged as such, particularly. And certainly there's no attempt to treat it or medicalize it or, or, or have therapy or anything. And they're all very different films, but yet they're all still portraying mental illness in some way or another. So for example, the first one, the big film out this week is Doctor Sleep. And that's a supernatural horror film and deals with a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And it deals with the fallout of the little boy who saw his dad act as a psychopath. And he's dealing with the trauma of that. Now, in Sorry We Missed You, that's a really powerful and bleak social drama about the effect of modern-day Britain of a family coping with the gig economy. And that has tremendous uh, mental strain in the family. And one of the... And then there's a teenage daughter who starts bedwetting, and that's a terrible thing to happen. But that, that is a sign, again, of, of mental trauma. But there's no treatment for it at all. And the third film is called Britney Runs a Marathon, and that's a comedy drama. And that deals with issues of lower self-esteem. So they're all dealing with different aspects of, you know, mental health, but none of them are addressing it directly. And that happens a great deal in cinema. There's a lot of mental health issues going around, but a lot of it's invisible, as it were.
1: No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's something I haven't really thought about too too hard. The fact that there are there are a lot of films with with these things happening in them, but but they aren't always addressed um or or there's there's no direction in terms of treating what's actually going on. It's it, these things like bedwetting, for example. It's just like a thing that would happen in a film, but it wouldn't explore any deeper why that's happening or how how to how to get over that. I guess. Yes. No. Can you carry on if you've got something. Just I'm happy listening. Right. Okay.
0: Right. Fine. Okay. So that brings us to films that directly address some sort of of mental health. Um, and Gemma, who I believe normally does this, this show, was very keen to talk about two films that have been out very recently. And the, uh, one is Joker, which is a, a comic book superhero origin story for Batman's arch enemy, the Joker. Mm. Definitely not for the kids. And the other one is Judy, about the life uh, um, of Judy Garland, the extraordinary Hollywood performer. Now, to go to Joker, it stars Joaquin Phoenix, as an aspiring standard comic, part-time clown, who suffers from a disorder that causes him to laugh at inappropriate times. And he's also generally nervous and lacks confidence, and he's not very good socially. Now, when his medication and therapy is withdrawn due to budget cuts in government, he slowly becomes an insane and violent criminal and inspires riots and copycat violence in the streets. Now, that's that film. That's one very definite portrayal of mental illness. Uh, and it's very common when you see men with mental issues, they are either violent or comic or power-seeking. And in Joker, we have all those three things. But other examples would be you know, Mel Gibson and Mad Max, who's you know, just on a massive revenge trip, but it's there in the title, Mad. Mm. Then we have Jerry Lewis and later Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor. Or Jim Carrey in the Dumb and Dumber films. You know, these are not friendly words to be using. And then you have the evil megalomaniacs in James Bond films. You know mm. the, the the evil bad guy wants to blow the world up, basically. And in Joker, we have all those three things. So the, you know, this Joker it doesn't. It's a very common portrayal of male mental illness. And I think that that's one thing I want, I want you to hang on to. Joker is a, a
1: film that I, I saw relatively recently, and the one thing that struck me, and just something that I, I I think it would be good to talk about, is the difference in how you perceive the message. Um, because for me, I mean, I'm somebody that. that struggles with mental health uh, myself. And when I was watching the film, for for me, it was really speaking from the other side. There isn't support and there aren't people out there that are always as kind as they can be. I mean, there are people out there that that really care and want to help and things, but right from the government all the way down to people in the street, it really showed a message of when you can't be compassionate, it can really push someone that is already struggling in a certain direction and for me it was like quite a powerful positive message because it spoke out to a lot of people that maybe don't think about their smaller actions and how they can impact somebody I mean obviously it's a film about a comic book character who ends up being a a mastermind villain you have to always keep that in mind I think but the realness of that neglect was really, really apparent. Have you got any thoughts on what those types of films or that film specifically can offer in a positive way?
0: Well, I think as far as positive portrayals of uh, mental of support for uh, uh, people struggling with their mental health, I think they're few and far between, I'm afraid. I know, again, Hollywood is not interested in curing people. It, it really isn't. It, it just wants the drama I, d- I can't think of, off the top of my head of any real, well, mm, possibly there's a beautiful mind which which has a happy, you know, films have a happy ending, but they, they, they don't sometimes, they don't always interested in truth. And I don't think that, I think generally Hollywood treats uh, mental health as an opportunity for excess and extreme behavior. I don't think it offers anything positive generally. I mean, I take your point certainly about. It's draw, Joker does draw attention, if nothing else, to what happens when you withdraw uh, support. And I think that is important. Uh, I, but I think that's rare in a film. What Hollywood like, likes to see is people suffering. Uh, which brings us to Judy, which is a great contrast with Joker. Uh, because this, this is a biopic of Judy Garland, the star of The Wizard of Oz. And we see her at the end of her career, and six months before her tragically early death, and she's on stage, she's, performed, uh, she's played by Rene Zellweg, who's wonderful in the role, she's fabulous. Um, and Garland is battling long-standing demons, and she's fighting a custody battle for two younger kids, and she marries her fifth husband. Here's where we're going to see the diversion between, if you have, I want to come into this in a second, but what you see, you have, in joke. We see a man externalising his issues, and he makes them epic, and he blames everybody else, and he punishes the others. And the battles take place in the public arena male experiences in Hollywood are closer to fantasy and it's framed as almost heroic or successful and often redeemed. Or in the case of Joker, it's not, he's not redeemed, but he becomes powerful and inspirational. Now, what happens with women in cinema is women, as Judy does, she internalizes her problems and makes them intimate and domestic and she blames themselves and she punishes herself emotionally and physically. And the, her battle takes place in the domestic arena. And women are often are far more often punished in cinema for being mentally ill than men are, and often at the hands of men. And I, I'm going to come back to this again and again, but have you seen Judy at all? I haven't, film. no.
1: I, I, uh, I didn't even actually know it existed, So, but it sounds like something that I would enjoy watching.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I mean as a film, there's issues with the film in terms of how it's structured, but I think... It, her performance is utterly fabulous. In fact, so is Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker. They're both two brilliant performances. They're both probably going to get Oscar nominations. I would hope they do anyway. But they, the diversion between how women and men are treated, even when they're suffering the same condition. Now, Judy and Joker aren't suffering the same condition at all. But can we, can we look at a couple of conditions? Of course, yeah. Right, and we'll see that, we're going to see this diversion again and again and again. And this is what Hollywood does. It's more unconscious bias than, than deliberate. I don't think. I don't think. It's, I'm, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, but I think. <laughs> uh, but you know. I, but I think. I think this is important. This is if you start looking at it, then it becomes more and more apparent. So let's take an absurdly extreme example to illustrate the, the diversion between how men and women are treated in 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 cinema. So let's look at dementia. Now, mm. Still Alice is a 2014 film starring Julianne Moore as a middle aged woman who's diagnosed with Alzheimer's it's a very small and intimate domestic drama. Now, that's how women are treated, in, portrayed, I should say, by Hollywood, but in the case of Alzheimer's. However, men are treated, men get an epic action sci-fi adventure where John Lithgow is suffering Alzheimer's, but his handsome young son is trying to find a cure for it and along the way unleashes the monkey apocalypse, and that is Rise of the Planet of the Apes in 2011. Now, that is an extreme absurd example of what Hollywood treats different men and women when they're suffering the same thing. Let's have a look at autism um, very quickly. Snow Cake is a 20, uh, 2006 indie dr- romantic comedy drama. It's a Gurney Weaver in a small town. She's a single woman and she's, um, she has autism and she's coming to terms with the death of a daughter. And that's what the film's about. Whereas... What men get is Men Get Rain Man, in, which is a 1998 Las Vegas road trip comedy drama with Dustin Hoffman, who has autism, and it's about the reconciliation of two wealthy brothers. So again, you know, one, take, one is in the, takes place in public and one takes place in the domestic arena and one is kind of big and brash and loud, whereas the, the women's drama is much more small and quiet. And then let's have a look at multiple personality disorder. Now, despite what Hollywood tells us quite frequently, this has nothing to do with schizophrenia, which is something very different indeed. So what men get, men get split, which is a 2016 psychological horror by director M. Night Malan, and stars James McAvoy uh, as a guy with 24 different personalities who kidnaps and imprisons three teenage girls. And again, like Joker, he's a supervillain who, in a sequel to the film, gets to fight Bruce Willis' super, superhero. Mm. Whereas what women get is something very different. They get the three faces of Eve. Now this is going back a bit, but it's a great film. It's a 1957 mystery drama starring Joanne Woodward. She's married, but childless. We'll get back to that later on. And it's very Jekyll and Hyde condition. She, as Eve White, she's a submissive housewife, while Eve Black, her other personality, is promiscuous and dangerous to other people's children. And she's, when... She's caught with another man, uh, and they're dan- she's dancing with him because in 1957 they couldn't show her having sex, but that's what we're meant to, to read into it. Um, her husband responds to her by slapping her. Now, <laughs> which is wrong in any, in any scenario, but what this means for Hollywood is that it's telling us that when someone is mentally ill, then it's perfectly reasonable to try and treat them or cure them with violence. Now, you can see how this is going to lead on to Cuckoo's Nest when we finally get there. Yeah. But, that, but yeah. but that's the important thing. When people are mentally ill, violence is acceptable, right? But also, and this is going to take us on to Angelina Jolie a bit later on, that it links uh, madness in women with promiscuity. And that's the other thing. Mm. So mental illness we've got now is in men is supervillainy. And in women, it's promiscuity, mistreating uh, children. Sanity for men is being a superhero. And sanity for women is being married and maternal and monogamous and submissive. So it's very, very, very different here. Now, violence is the treatment as it is there. I mean, it isn't obviously in the real world, but in Hollywood, this is what we're taught. Which brings us to hysteria and hysterical women in the movies. Now... Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. I really don't know how old you are. And I'm, I'm nearly fifty, so I've watched a lot of films. I'm 32. Right. Okay. So i you familiar with the way that Hollywood has treated hysterical women. When women get hysterical in the movies, what happens to them? Um, I mean, I, uh, I know. I'm not asking you to condone it. I'm just saying, what What's the first thing? What's the first response in, in movies?
1: It's usually a slap, or it's usually some sort yes. some sort of physical
0: violence. Yeah, absolutely right. Which is not good, is it? If someone's suffering Absolutely you know, not. A, break, a breakdown in their mental health, what they don't need is physical violence. Now, you've seen the film Airplane, disaster comedy movie. Mm. Right. Now, Slapping and Hysterical Woman, and this film was made in 1980, so I saw it when I was 11 or 12 in, in 19, you know, a year or so later on VHS, because I'm too young to see it in the cinema. Probably too young to be watching it on VHS, to be honest. There's a joke in that about there's a woman, one of the passengers on this plane, she's going to crash and she's having an hysterical fit. And so the doctor comes along, shouts at her, screams at her and slaps her. Now, you know, this is, this is normal for Hollywood. This is what happens in Hollywood films. And what they do, they turn into a joke by having a whole line of, you know, she doesn't calm down. So she has a whole line of people, of passengers and, and crew lining up with, you know, a first they slap her and then they get baseball bats and guns and knives. You know, it just gets really extreme. Yeah. It, it can only make that joke. That joke is only funny. If you're familiar, I mean, in, in, as far as that, it's funny. It can only make that joke because his, Hollywood history tells us that it's okay and acceptable to slap an hysterical woman and they just take it to an absurd extreme. And that's where the, the joke is. But imagine that we've had, but that was 1980. We've had 70 years of Hollywood telling us and allowing us and expecting men to inflict violence on in women who are mentally ill. You know, violent treatment, and I use, you know, in inverted commas, is justified and accepted and normal as regards to women. And again, and also men, but in this specific case. Do you know why hysterical women are treated that way? Do you know where the, you know where the word hysteria comes from? I, I, I actually don't know the origin
1: of that word. I'm sure right, you can it, in, enlighten me, though.
0: Oh yes, I can. Right it, it, now, remember we just now hysteria is seen as a women's issue. You know there are men who get hysterical in films, but that'll take us down a, a, another route. I don't, I don't want to go to today. That'd be a whole n- another podcast. All <laughs> right, okay. So the word hysteria comes from the Greek word, Hysteria. Forgive my pronunciation of Greek, but it's the Greek word for the uterus. And the Greeks believed, and this is, you know, going back to the days of Plato and Socrates and the rest of them, believed that the uterus moved up, literally moved up inside a woman's body and up to the top of her body and strangled her. And that's what caused hysteria. Now, that is clearly wrong, (laughs) but but that's what they believe. And this belief persisted Right. right up through Victorian times and into the 20th century until they knew better, right? But what it does mean is that this entirely physical cause, as they thought it was for the symptoms of hysteria, by linking them to the uterus, it means hysteria only affects women. So women's mental health is framed directly around their gender. You know, the fact that they are women means they are prone to mental ill health. Men who don't possess a uterus are therefore inherently sane. Women, who do have a uterus, are inherently prone to madness. So for women, again, no, sanity is equated with being passive, submissive, and governable. The incredibly powerful thing of which women are the victims of is that hysteria is a catch-all condition. You know, its definition is incredibly broad. You know, if you raise your voice, you can be accused of being hysterical. If you disagree you can be, with a man, you can be accused of being hysterical. And it makes it easy, very easy for doctors to identify hysteria and then treat it. <laughs> and you know, obviously, this is going to bring us again back up to Cooker's Nest. You can imagine what the treatments are for uh, hysteria. You know, if, if the problem, if your madness is, madness is being caused by your uterus, what do we do with the uterus? Right? The, you, know, you have hysterectomies. Now, let's look at uh, Hollywood actually portrays uh, hysteria. Now, we're going to go slightly off beam, but I promise to bring it back. There is a point to this. Hysteria is a tw- is name of a 2011 period drama set in 1880 in London. It stars Hugh Dancy as a real-life Dr. Granville, who's famous for treating hysteria. Now, as we've seen, hysteria is caused by the uterus, then therefore you must treat the uterus. And common practice to manage the symptoms of hysteria would be to massage a woman's genital area. I'm not making this up. This is what they would do. He would massage the woman's genital area. This is going to get weird, but this is the true story. Now, because he treats so many women, his hand gets tired. So he adapts an electrical feather duster to use as an electric massager and invents by accident what we know today as a vibrator. That is how it came about. And look, if people are out there listening and use a vibrator as part of the fulfilling sexual life, then, you know, more power to your elbow I'm not judging anybody in this, but this is how it came about. What we see, obviously, this is incredibly abusive situation. Yeah, uh, You know, that, that, that's what I want you, that's what I want you, not the funny story I want you to take away that this is incredibly abusive. Yeah, and obviously the woman is suffering from mental health, has it mental health issues, goes to a doctor, and that's what, how they treat her. Now, also in this film, there's a character called Charlotte played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, who is arrested. And Dr. Granville is asked to testify at her trial, testify that she's not hysterical, so she should be sent to prison because the prosecutor wants to recommend that the Charlotte be sent to a sanatorium where she should be forced to undergo a hysterectomy because that would cure her. So again, this is touched upon in this film and this is, you know, how people would be treated. Again, and this will link us back to Cuckoo's Nest, you see a person having a choice between a prison or an asylum, as they were then called. But what I want you, you take away from the film Hysteria is the link between men diagnosing women as mentally ill and then using that as a justification to use violence and invasive force to subdue them, to subdue women. That's what happens in Hollywood.
1: So Hollywood have taken this the, these really old, obviously wrong ideas and and. And translated them into into film. To be fair, that was a period drama, so you know they they make up bones. This was eighteen eighty. Just generally, these ideas have obviously existed, and then and then just subconscious bias and and you know everything else. They sort of seep through into other f- themes of other films, and like like you were saying earlier, it's maybe not on purpose all of the time, but there are these these themes and images that that seem to, from what you're saying, keep cropping up. Has that sort of changed in any way in your experience from what you've seen?
0: No, I think no. That people that Hollywood still looks at the drama. It just wants the drama. It, I, you know, again, it, Hollywood doesn't want to cure anybody. It just wants to put bums on seats and sell cinema tickets. I, don't, I, I think Hollywood is uh, has no viewpoint on this particularly, right? Um, and and, and, and let's let's look at. A couple more examples of different types of of mental health and and what happens. And we'll see, we'll see this pattern again, but again, it's who has the power here? Let's look at depressions, two films about depression. One is falling down. This is a 1993 thriller starring Michael Douglas, who, you know, has enough one day, he's had, he can't take any more, and he walks across Los Angeles, and he turns, again, it's about, he turns violent, and he goes into a public place, he walks across Los Angeles, he starts using a baseball bat, then he gets a gun, then he gets a rocket launcher on anyone who annoys him. Whereas, again, women, if you look at uh, Revolutionary Road, which is a 2008 domestic drama starring Kate Winslet, she's a childless housewife. And again, uh, there's a link between childlessness and mental health mm. um, who, ha- who has an affair. So, you know, there's promiscuity again, promiscuity and childlessness again being connected. You know, the, men don't ever is never part of their mental illness, you know, being promiscuous or yeah. or not having kids, you know, it's not, it's not, but with women, it's always, always the case. Always linked.
1: Yeah. No, I, I haven't, I hadn't ever really put that together in my head. Quite fascinating for you to say, because like the more and more I think about all of the films that I've seen that depict some sort of mental health issue in women, there's always that link there. I'd never put that together in my head. if if I'm
0: honest with you. I want to give you a couple more examples of this, because now let's let's just go into into the uh, the world of the the criminally uh, uh, unwell. And again, what we see is we're going to see men a criminal uh, and unwell in a public arena, and women a criminal in the domestic setting. Now let's, (laughs) we'll look up this pattern, you know, come back and tell me where you can see it. 30 Harry's 1971 cop thriller, where a, a serial killer called Scorpio shoots strangers on the streets of San Francisco. Uh, seven is a 1995 crime thriller which sees Kevin Spacey go out and torture, kill strangers in various inventive ways. It's very, very dark. Now that's two examples of men, um, you know, being serial killers. Basically, mm. let's look at the women. What the women are portrayed as being as single white female, which is a 1992 psychological thriller stars Jennifer Jason Lee as a childless and promiscu- promiscuous singleton who's obsessed with a roommate, so it's very domestic. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is a 1992 psychological thriller starring Rebecca De Mornay as a childless widow, so she's not even married, or has been, but is not anymore, out to destroy a woman and steal her family. And Fatal Attraction is a 1987 psychological thriller starring Glenn Close who's a childless, promiscuous singleton who becomes obsessed with a married man with whom she had an affair. Now, in all of these films, the criminal, man or woman, is killed. Now, what that does, it reinforces the idea that violence against the mentally ill is, you know, acceptable. Mm. But when it aligns female madness with violent behavior, it aligns also. It aligns it also with being single, and promiscuity, and childlessness, and is reinforcing definition of sanity for women, which is being married, and maternal, and monogamous, and submissive. And again, this is going to come back to us with Cuckoo's Nest because this is important for understanding what Cuckoo's Nest is really doing, which is a brilliant film, but it's not quite the film that people seem to think it is. And if, as a woman, you step outside this male definition of female sanity, then expect to be labelled very quickly as mentally ill. And therefore, men are justified in you as in violence against you. And as a woman, you're probably going to end up dead. But even if you manage to, to survive in this Hollywood film, you're not in a good place.
1: Mm.
0: Which brings us to Angelina Jolie, who I would imagine everyone has heard of. She was in a film called Girl Interrupted, which she won yes. the Best Supporting Oscar for. That's not the film I want to talk about. Oh, okay, okay. Even, I thought it even, was. I even, thought it was
1: going to be. No, no,
0: no. No, no. Even though she's, in, you know, she's locked up in an asylum with Winona Ryder and it deals with all the things we're talking about, there's a much more interesting one because it sums up everything we've seen we've been talking about so far. Now, the film is Changeling, and it's directed by Clint Eastwood, who's not normally associated with this sort of film. He doesn't often cast female leads particularly, and most films have been a cowboy, but he's done lots of interesting stuff, and this is a great film. It's a 2008 crime drama based on real events from California in 1928. And Angelina Jolie stars as a single woman called Christine, whose son, Walter, who's, I think he's about 10 or 12, he goes missing. And what they do, the authorities find him and they bring him back to her. But when she's reunited with Walter, she realizes the boy the authorities is telling her is her missing son is a different boy entirely. You know, I think he's too tall. He's got the wrong haircut. He's mm. just the wrong person. Now, as far as the authorities are concerned, the case is closed. You know, they found the missing boy, re- re- reunited with the mother and everything's happy. They just want her to go away. But she is angry and upset. Now, angry and upset, that takes us back to hysteria. Mm. If you are angry and upset, now, even if you're, you know, controlled, if you're raising your voice, you can be defined as angry and upset. And this is not the correct mental state to be challenging authority, the government authority, the police authority, because they will immediately turn around, and this is what they do, they turn around and say, look, you're being irrational, you're being hysterical. And they declare her mentally ill. They label her as an unfit mother, which is one definition of, of, you know, one sign of mental illness. They say she's delusional. They vilify her and they confine her to a psychiatric ward. And there, she, the, the doctor diagnoses her as delusional and forces her to take mood-relating pills. And she say, Look, but you can get out if you admit you're mistaken about your son not being your son. You know, it's an extraordinary story, it's a true story, but. What I want to take from this, and it's well worth watching the film, Mm. I want you to take away that if women challenge authority or if they raise their voice while they're doing it, God help you, you're going to be diagnosed, you're going to be labelled as irrational and then you can be diagnosed as mentally ill. And then you're going to suffer incarceration and drug regimes and invasive surgery and lobotomy and your kids can be taken away from you. And all this is meant to be for your good, either way. And the criteria for judging how successful the treatment is is how submissive and quiet women are after the treatment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've yeah, seen it, that it, film and, and it is a frustrating watch. And the fact that it is based on those true events is it's quite harrowing, really, to watch it.
0: Oh, it is. It, 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 I think, in it, to its credit, it is harrowing. And the film understands that it... it, it, it no, it's all seen from Angelina Jolie's character point of view and it's intended to be harrowing and we're meant to sympathize with her. And I think that's important. You know, that's, you know the film doesn't end in a positive manner, but at least, you know, it does a, in a very intelligent uh, and sympathetic way explore some of the problems that as a woman you're going to, you know, experience and everything the state will do to, you know, get you to quiet and be quite, basically, be quiet and go away and sit in a corner. I mean, that's all. It, that's what the authorities want her to do. You know, they just wanted to stop making a noise. Mm. Anyway, that that's going to bring us to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I, yeah. I and I love this film. It's made in 1975. It's one of only three films to have won all four top Oscars, and it was the second one to do so. No, really, which was the first? I'm very glad to ask. Um, it was it's a 1934 comedy called "It Happened One Night" and starred Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert, ah. and it's wonderful, right? Do you know what the third one was? No, and the most recent one, 1991, stars Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. I would I would imagine "Silence of the Lambs." It is The sound <laughs> of the Lambs, yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah. I mean, three brilliant films. Yeah. Um, in, interestingly, the second two touch upon mental illness in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, it happened one night. I haven't seen it for a while, but it's very, very funny. It, it, it's great. Anyway, look, uh, One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest was filmed in a real psychiatric hospital in the Oregon State Hospital. And so it's really very good on visualizing the mechanics of mental health treatment. You know, there's bars on the windows. It's good at the forced drugs, you know, the physical restrictions such as straight jackets and the, you know, let's face it, the barbaric use of electroshock treatment. Mm. And poor Jack Nicholson, Nicholson has a lobotomy in it. I'm like, this is going to be full of spoilers. I apologize. Yeah, well, if you it, haven't seen it really, by now. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. But also, it, honestly, it won't spoil enjoyment just because you know what happens doesn't spoil the power of the film because I've seen it so many no, times. Yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. It is, it is a fascinating watch.
0: Now, it stars uh, Jack Nicholson as uh, Randall McMurphy. I'll get to him in a second, but in the film, he uh, suffers a lobotomy. Do you know anything about lobotomy?
1: Well, I mean, only what I've seen in the films, if I'm honest with you. Only what I've seen in movies.
0: Okay, now the reason I know a I know little bit about the subject because when I was a, uh, a student in Liverpool, I studied not filmmaking, but criminal justice. And if you, st- which is the courts and the prison, it's not law, it's the courts and the prisons and how they define criminality. And of course, mental illness touches upon this because, you know, are the, the fundamental question in a criminal justice is somebody bad, you know, are they just a criminal or are they mad? Are they mentally ill? And therefore your treatment will be different. And that is something that we touch upon in this film. But just a big a bit background in lobotomy. In, uh, it was invented in 1935 and is, in, is credited to Antonio Monet, a Portuguese neurologist and he won the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 1949. <laughs> they tried to take it away from him some time later because he was pretty much discredited and lobotomy is discredited as a way of treating the mentally ill. And so it should be. Mm. But in the meantime, they got away. The US authorities... Between the 1930s and 1950s, in a 20-year period, take a wild guess how many lobotomies they managed to
1: get through. I would have no idea where to start, but I would guess it's a high number.
0: 50,000, more or less. That is far higher than I would have guessed. Uh, Yeah, well, there you go. Isn't that, you know, and they realised it didn't work. Interestingly, what happens is, fundamentally, it's a a way of controlling people. You know, people who are violent, Basically, the brain is your personality is all at the front of the brain. Uh, your frontal lobes are at the front in your forehead, forehead and all your motor bits that controls the way you walk and breathing and stuff is at the back. So if you cut out the front of the brain, you'll let, you can still move and walk around and breathe, but what you haven't got is any personality, and all your aggression is being taken away from you. And that is the criteria for judging how successful a lobotomy is being is how quiet you are afterwards. Right, and that's a very broad look at it, but that's essentially what, what goes on. So you take a, a violent patient and say, we want to make him quiet. The, the quickest way of doing it is to cut out that bit of the brain that makes you violent. But that's also taking away your personality. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, again, it's a, it's, it's a fairly barbaric, but that happens in this film and that's really important. Do you know why he's in? Can you remember? Have you, you have seen this oh, film, have yeah, you? Yeah, I have, Sorry. but I can't remember exactly. People don't remember why he's in there, but they remember him being a hero you know, he, he, he achieves redemption in this film. Yeah. You know, that, that's what he does, that he achieves redemption, but, but he's the man. And, you know, again, this is not a domestic setting. Everything we've said before, he's a man, he, he's violent. He inflicts, he punishes everybody else, externalizes what's going on in his head and everybody else, you know, suffers. And that's what he does. Now he's in there. He's a sex offender.
1: Oh, yeah. So, yes yeah, yeah.
0: But, but I think it's telling that people don't remember, because they remember the heroism. They remember the redemption, which yeah, yeah. The they don't remember yeah. why. Now, now this, this is because it's, it's a, a bunch of men telling a male story. So yeah, you know, they play that down. they do play it down. I mean, they don't hide from it. But it's addressed. they don't explore that at all. Anyway, he's been sentenced is uh, sentenced sexually caught and, and, and tried as a sex offender. Mm. And he's chosen to go into the psychiatric hospital rather than go to prison because he thinks it'll be easier. If he goes to prison, he has to do hard labor. He doesn't want to do that. He thinks he'll have an easy life in the, in, in, in the um, psychiatric hospital.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Now, now, what, now, what the film has to do is to make him sympathetic because he's the hero, even though he's a sex offender. Yeah. So what they do is they put him against Nurse Ratchet. Brilliant performance by Louise, Flet- Louise Fletcher, who won the Best Actress Oscar. Now, what the film does, it's really important how Nurse Ratchet is portrayed. Because all those things I said earlier on about how women that were able to label or to signifies or signifies of mental illness or sanity in a woman. If you want to be sane as a woman, you, you, you are portrayed as monogamous, married and maternal. Now, she is none of those things. Mm. I mean, she may be married, she may have kids in the film, but really, there's no exploration of that whatsoever. She is seen as someone who is almost not a woman. And that's really important. So, you know, she's vilified. What's really going on is like she's this really hardworking, disciplined, professional woman, but the film can't show her as that. They have to vilify her. Um if if you are childless and sexless as a woman, then you are, you know, you're so close to being labeled as mentally ill. And that's what the film does. It's all signifying that she this woman is basically not a woman.
1: The fact that he's a sex offender and then and then his arch nemesis is female, that is a massively twisted message.
0: Uh, wait, isn't it just yeah, uh, but but this is what Hollywood does. It's a great example of what Hollywood do. Hollywood, you know, defines it takes genders and, and plays them and gives them roles to play, and they're very different, and the outcomes are very different. We should be s- sympathising with Nurse Fratchett. yeah. Who's been lumbered with the guy who's you know who is not demonstrably not mentally ill. You know he's there. He knows he isn't. The audience knows. Audience knows he isn't. The nurse knows he isn't. He's work shy. And he's a, you know, a drunk and he's a gambler and he's a fighter. and He's all these, which is why he ends up being lobotomized. And we're meant to have all the sympathy for him and none for her. And that tells you everything you need to know uh, about how Hollywood treats, portrays uh, mental illness in the movies, in regards men and women. they are treated very, very, very differently. I'm going
1: to watch that film in a very
0: different way the, the next time I watch that film now. <laughs> well, good, now. But, but look, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a bad film. It's a brilliant film, but I think there's something more interesting going on. And I think just because we're aware of that doesn't make it any less of a good film.
1: No, no, I think I think it actually gives, gives the film new life to be able to watch it from a
0: completely different perspective. Excellent. That's a fabulous thing to say. Great. And so again, the one final divide. I'm, 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 I'm nearly finished. By the way, I'll stop talking soon. <laughs> no, don't. No. So what we've got, we've got Changeling, which is the Angelina Jolie film, which is a complex, messy tale of abuse of a woman by the state, and it doesn't end well. In Cuckoo's Nest, the man is given a is given a noble sacrifice and a moral victory for the man over the state. So the man will win, the woman loses, and this is what happens in mental health in the movies. When even when a woman succeeds in challenging authority, they will be defeated. And when men fail, as Randall McMurphy is a failure as a man, he still wins. And that is mental health in the movies. Uh, and that's me kind of done. I do have a happy Hollywood ending for oh, you. Brilliant. Would you like to? Yeah, let's it? go for right, that. Okay. Let's <laughs> <laughs> right in January, uh, there is a film coming out called. Um, it's a new adaptation of Charles Dickens' David Copperfield and stars Dev Patel. It's a wonderful, warm, brilliant, funny film. It's just been nominated for uh, 11 uh, awards at the British Independent Film Awards. It's going to get, I would imagine it'll be up for BAFTAs and for Oscars. It's just in all manner of different categories. Now, why we're interested today in this is because Hugh Laurie gives an amazing performance as a man struggling with dementia. If his performance doesn't move you to tears, then you really haven't got it hard. But what's wonderful about it is in the film, he's treated with compassion and respect and love. It doesn't cure him. But for all those moments when he's treated as a person, just then he becomes that little bit more lucid and reconnects with the person that he's been losing. It's just wonderful. And that's released in January. Please do watch that film when it comes out.
1: There's a few films that I've seen, in the past as uh, Robin Williams in, in World's Greatest Dad um, is a fantastic, I think, a fantastic portrayal of depression uh, and especially what we know about Robin Williams now and, you know, what he, what he was going through sort of silently. Yes. It makes it so much more powerful. And again, going back to Joaquin Phoenix in Joker, I think there's there's two things that make people more able to forgive certain aspects of films. and And that's like the difference between the narrative of the film and the performance from the actor. With Joaquin Phoenix, the, the, his performance is so sensational that you almost would forgive um, certain narratives in the film and, and maybe the script or the, the directional choice. And that, that's quite interesting in the way that someone, someone can play a character and replay it so well that the person watching the film um, almost doesn't notice.
0: Yes, no, I think, I think, but I think that's a that's a massive tribute to the power of the performance, which is why actors are very tremendous when they, you know, when they're that good. It's, it's, it, it, but. I think when the performance is that great I think what that does mean is you can go back to the film again and watch it for the performance a second time Just
1: need a chat with you first <laughs> Thank you so much for spending the time talking to me about all of this I've learned a great deal so it's been fantastic to talk
0: to you It's been an absolute pleasure Thank you very much for having me